Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays, episode two. Colin, we made it for our first episode and we didn't get canceled. That's that's impressive. I would say that's impressive, but typically we would be the only ones canceling ourselves. So I'm I'm glad that neither the listeners nor us canceled. Yes, I'm very glad that uh, you guys weren't too offended by the first episode, and you're letting us do it again. It's a little hard to believe, but uh, we're we're back here for another episode, and we've got an actual game to talk about. So uh, to paraphrase. Former Ohio State coach Urban Meyer. We we can't get to the third episode until we get through the second episode. So oh my, let's get let's get right into Holy it here. Cliche. <laughs> hey, we'll 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 get through it. We'll get through it. Uh, so we got an actual football game to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, a game that I got to be honest with you, even uh, three days into it, I'm still not exactly sure how we should feel about it. Uh, Ohio State started off the game uh, 28-0, ended up only winning 45-21, and while it was a comfortable win against uh, a team that was really never had any chance of beating Ohio State, uh, I think the way the final three and a half quarters went after the way the game started for the first eight minutes kind of made it feel like a letdown to people, even though it was a a comfortable win ultimately. Yeah, I actually... So I remember when we were talking about the game, the, the night it happened, and I think I was sort of like, I'm not sure about how Justin Fields played. I'm not sure. I, like, I think the defense played well, but the offense, I have a fair bit of concern. I think going back over watching watching the game again a second time and sort of parsing over some of the throws he made, like I think that we want to talk about sort of each each facet of the game individually, but I, w- I would just say just generally, I was much more impressed on a second watch than I was on the first. And I think th- I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, probably none bigger than I think it was just it was very simple. I mean they they got up twenty eight to nothing, and then they didn't really like they tried to score, but it's not like that they were they were, they weren't trying anything too crazy. Like they they didn't they didn't do anything outlandish. Justin Fields didn't didn't make any like plays where where he decided to take some sort of risk, throw it downfield, do something crazy. I think they just it was it was it was fairly vanilla. And and to be honest, like that's sort of why, in my opinion, that that it slowed down a little bit. Just just from a just from an entire team perspective. Well, and and here, here's my thing. I think if we look at this game. And it was a it was a forty five to twenty one game. I think if we look at this game, if Ohio State had scored more evenly spread out, where instead of scoring four touchdowns in the first eight minutes, and then only scoring two more touchdowns the rest of the game, and having a seven uh, seven possession drought without any points, I think if those possessions had been more evenly spread out. The reactions to the game would have been a lot more positive, but I think because the game started out the way it did, we're all thinking about. I mean, people in Eleven Warriors Slack were saying national championship, and people were talking about how uh, they looked unbelievable. They, yeah. they, I'm, I mean, on for both eight sides minutes, it's like, oh my god, what is what has Ryan Day done to this team? It, it, it looked amazing, and it just looked like. Um, Looked like they were going to beat them seventy-seven to three. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the comments was like they're doing what they're supposed to do to an elite team, and then they didn't for the rest of the game. So I think uh, I know that I came into the game expecting some growing pains. I think my score prediction was something like fifty-two to twenty or something like that. So yeah, neither of our score predictions were were too off, and it, I almost feel like everybody recalibrated our our own expectations somewhere in the first quarter exactly. and then and then they just didn't they didn't live up to them in the end and you sort of didn't see some of the stuff that that maybe you thought before the game you're going to see right that's exactly what i think i think that uh i think the way the game started off so strong all of a sudden people just thought well this is going to be a route and then when things started to go wrong i think people viewed it through the prism of well, clearly this team they're playing isn't very good because we saw what happened for the first eight minutes. So now, all of a sudden, they, they've stopped being able to score on them. Uh, what's wrong? Uh, and I don't think this was a great performance. Like, I don't, oh, I, go, agree. I don't want to go overboard. But at the same time, I think there were a lot of positives. And I think sort of one of my main takeaways is right now sitting here, I don't look at a position, I don't look at a player and go like, whew, 
they got some they got some problems here. Yeah, and I I really agree with that point because I was thinking the same as we were preparing for this show. Like, is there anything that we should really be concerned about? Is there anything that's like a a bigger question after this game than it was before? Mm-hmm. And, and there isn't anything like that for me. Yeah, I think I think some are more complicated, but I don't think there's any that are that are that I that I feel worse about. Like when I was writing stock up, stock down, an article that that ran um, on on a Monday. Like it was, it was, it was almost difficult to 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 find stock things that I thought uh, dropped in stock. Players who I didn't think played as well as I thought that they were going to. Right. And it's not to say that everyone was great. It was almost to say that like it sort of played out in a way that we expected, just not in the order that we expected, not in the twenty-eight nothing, and then what was it, twenty-one seventeen, the remainder of of the game. Yes. Yeah. FAU actually outscored. Ohio State 21 to 17 the rest of the game but here's the thing oh it, for the people who are panicking about that Ohio State was up 28 to nothing Ohio State scored enough points in the first eight minutes that even if they had not scored the rest of the game they still would have won the game so and they also hypothetically if that had happened they would have had their first team defense and they wouldn't have given up the late points and the late yards correct and I and I also think uh, everybody's talked about it and I think it's just human nature to an extent that when you go up 28 nothing I mean we're all sitting there in the press box thinking this game is over yeah you're like you're like shoot this is gonna be an easy thought, game story huh yeah I mean we thought <laughs> backups are gonna be in by halftime and they're just gonna keep rolling and I don't, I don't care how focused you are as a player, that has to creep into your head a little bit. You have to start thinking, we're just rolling here. They can't stop us. So then when they finally do, it, it just kind of takes you out of your rhythm. Um, and, and, you know, and I think, I think coaches and players typically do a good job in the weeks leading up to games of playing the whole, oh, you know, this team's good, this team can beat us, we're prepared, but... I think even them, they're going into this game thinking this isn't going to be much trouble. So I think when you face some of that resistance that maybe you didn't expect, uh, I, I think you know it can lead to a lull like we saw on Saturday. But at the same time, Ohio State still won the game by 24. I mean, you can look at uh, just other scores around the country. I mean, I just wrote down a few from the Big Ten. You know, Michigan they beat Middle Tennessee 40 to 21. So they beat a group of five team like Ohio State played by less points. Nebraska, the team that's been the, the chic team in the Big Ten West all preseason, they struggled to beat South Alabama. They only beat them 35-21. to 21. Uh, Purdue lost to Nevada. Uh, Northwestern scored only seven points against Stanford. Now, some of those teams aren't on Ohio State's level, but the point remains you can look all over the country and there were a lot of teams that did not play as well in week one as people might have expected they would. So, Ohio State's first game was far from perfect, but it could have been a lot worse. You want to talk Justin Fields? I think we should talk Justin Fields. I think, Just a little bit? Yeah. I think I think people like to talk about Justin Fields. And, I like to talk about Justin yeah. Fields. And, you know, Colin, um, I, I know that you you came out of Saturday's game and you were kind of, you were kind of unimpressed with Justin Fields I, I feel like mm-hmm. just based on our conversations you kind of felt like well he didn't he didn't do anything uh, it was spectacular um, and, and you weren't sure and I know m- my perspective was hey this guy just tied a record for the most touchdowns by an Ohio State quarterback in his first start tying Dwayne Haskins's record he didn't turn the ball over at all to me what more can you ask for from a quarterback making his first start and you know for me I don't think that take has changed and I think when you you know rewatched the game you kind of your perception of him improved as well yeah it did I, I think that like my immediate take was when I looked at all right so 51 yard rushing touchdown it sounds really impressive except for all he really did was run straight he didn't he didn't make people miss and sure he was fast but like and I will it, say it was this, pretty simple because we talked about it in the press box, I, I will say this: we we kind of talked about it in the press box. He looked half speed. When you watched it on film, he actually looked faster than he, he did, did watching it in real time from the press box. And that's probably just because we're so high up that you can't really always perceive that. But watching it on on replay, I could see like, okay, he he was really moving. Yeah, and I, and I'll say just specifically that play. I don't know how much that we want to like dive in and do an individual no. play, but I will say on that play, like there, Munford whiffed on a block and. Had Justin Fields been a four-six guy instead of a four-four guy, I, I think he might have gotten tripped up. And yeah. Like that—that that is a natural—that yeah. is a natural skill set that Justin Fields has that just other quarterbacks just don't have. 
And like you have to credit that for him, yep. even though he made it look easy. Like on second look, like you have to credit. Most that. quarterbacks are not making that play. Dwayne Haskins yeah. is certainly not making that play. Even <laughs> no. even JT Barrett, who was a great runner, is probably not making that play because he was he didn't have that same kind of speed. Braxton Miller could have made that play, but I don't think since Braxton Miller, Ohio State's had a quarterback with this kind of dynamic athleticism. So we saw it right there, mm-hmm. just how dynamic he could be. But the, yeah, and, and my thing with that too. Um, it's like if you look around at the rest of his runs, he he didn't he didn't break off any crazy ones other other than really that. Um, these, these are my takes after the game, and like you look at the four touchdowns, like two or three. Honestly, all four of them were to wide open receivers. I mean, just two were just like I could have made the throw. I might have I might have not been able to make the other two, but I could have made at least two of them. I mean, I, I got to give myself a little bit of credit. Um, I'm not sure if I could have made any of them. I'm being completely honest. <laughs> I don't want to admit to that, but maybe. Um, but, but honestly, like my whole takeaway after the game was, I you you hear about this guy who's the number two recruit in the country, and you look around, you see all these guys who are who are inexperienced, and they go into these situations, and and they make some spectacular plays early. They they they, they look great, and and to me, like sure, Justin Fields line eighteen for twenty five, two hundred thirty four yards, four passing touchdowns, zero interceptions. Like it's like it's it looks really good. But to me, there there weren't a ton of just super impressive plays. And to, and to be honest, just like looking back on the film, like I've sort of changed my mind. I think that there are probably three to five passes that I was really impressed by. And but more so than than anything, I sort of bought into a little bit of, of what Ryan Day was talking about with with the process, the process of Justin Fields. Because there's part of me that's like, all right. Ryan Day knows the skill set. I mean, Kevin Wilson last week, he said, what did he say? He was like the most talented quarterback that he's ever been around. I don't know exactly what he it said. Was it was something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. Like, listen, they, everybody knows his talent. All the coaches know his talent. We all know his talent. Like, how is he? what happens if he doesn't get to a ceiling? Like, what? Like, how does he not get to a ceiling? And it's like if he doesn't go through this first part, if he doesn't become, if he doesn't have better touch on his passes, make better decisions in the pocket, um, make better decisions about like when to when to throw it away, when not to, when to take a hit, when not to, and like that's sort of just where they are right now. If they if he wanted to just unleash the full Justin Fields, I think you could have done that, and I think Justin Fields might have thrown for three hundred yards, and he also might have had two interceptions, and I think Ryan Day is willing to to maybe have a little bit less of a dynamic offense to, to, to ensure that in the long term um, he, is the, he is the guy that, that he thinks he can be. And that, to me, that is why I've changed my opinion since watching, since rewatching the game. Well, and I think, you know, to me, if honestly, I thought going into the game, I thought we would see Justin Fields throw an interception or two or at least make, you know, a poor decision at some point. I mean, yep. he, he didn't even throw any passes that could have been intercepted. Now, granted, he wasn't playing against the toughest defense, so we're going to learn more about Justin Fields this next mm-hmm. week against the Cincinnati defense that I think is significantly better. But just watching him through that first game, I thought his decision-making was really solid. That's still an area of focus for him, but I thought his decision-making was really solid. Uh, I thought he did a good job. Um, you know, he, he did a good job. You know, he looked poised in the pocket, uh, whether he was, you know, standing in there. Uh, you know, waiting to make a throw or looking for a lane to run. I, I think he did a good job, you know, with his decision making, uh, with not putting himself in unnecessary harm's way, with not, uh, you know, putting the ball in harm's harm's way. Do you uh, do you feel better, worse, or the same about Justin Fields, and why? Since since, since than than you did last week at this time. I think I feel about the same uh, because. You know, as we've talked about a lot, it's FAU. Um, I, I don't want to read too much into a game against FAU. Uh, but I liked what I saw because, I, I, again, I liked the fact that he did not turn the ball over, that he did not make mistakes. Because, truthfully, I was expecting him mm-hmm. to be a little bit more of a gunslinger at first, to be, to be making a few more risky plays and that you know, maybe one or two would pay off and that maybe one or two would backfire. And I, and I think a lot of credit has to go today and to Mike Yersich for – uh, the game plan of you know putting him in positions to make smart plays uh, I think he's definitely been coached up for the last eight months to avoid turnovers to make smart decisions to to, to, to not go for broke all the time to, to to try to make plays that are smart for the team and to use the playmakers around him because he's got a lot of them and, and we saw it. I mean those touchdown passes None of those touchdown passes were anything spectacular. They were all guys getting wide open. But 
as a quarterback, you have to take what the defense gives you. Um, yeah, you, you know, hit them all. Like, you know, I mean, I mean I'm I not going to. I'm not going to say that. Like, I'm not going to credit him necessarily with, with like too much with making those throws, but but he but he made them right. But you you don't want a quarterback making things more difficult mm-hmm. on themselves. You want a quarterback to take what the offense, uh, what the defense gives them, rather, and he, he doesn't. He doesn't have to make uh, ten highlight radio plays a game to be a great quarterback for Ohio State. He just needs to be able to move the offense consistently, and he needs to avoid turnovers. And I think, you know, he he got off to a good start. I think we're going to see a lot tougher competition than FAU. So yeah, I, I think one of the reasons that this is so interesting to me because like I think he's I think about him a little bit the same like, but I think about him different. I think. I don't know how to put this. I think about him at the same level. Like I think he's going to be the same. I think he's the same talent. I think he's going to be the same type of player. But I think how he gets to that talent is a little differently. And I think that I think that maybe his ceiling right now is a little bit lower than I thought it would be because Ryan Day wants that. Because I think he wants a little bit of a higher floor. He wants he want Justin Fields to to become a better decision maker to 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 have better touch on his throws to make make the correct decisions. And I think that. If you let Justin Fields do what Justin Fields does and, and go crazy, I think that maybe he can maybe he can reach these other heights. But I don't think you necessarily want that all the time because I think with that comes a lot of risk. Yeah, I think I think it's it's managing him. I think mm-hmm. uh, there's going to come a time this season uh, where they're going to need Justin Fields to make the big play. They're going to need Justin Fields to put the team on his back and they're going to have to let him free to to do whatever he can do and take chances. There's going to be times this season where that happens, but you don't need him doing that against FAU. And, and In- Interestingly though, I think that that like maybe what if, what if Cincinnati poses a real threat and, and and they test him in that way and like you sort of have to turn to Justin that way. I don't know that they. I, I still don't know that they want to in that in that sense. And and that to me is what makes the Cincinnati game and a couple other games early in the season a little interesting. Yeah. Well, we're we're going to get to the Cincinnati game in a bit because I, I do think that's an interesting game. I think we're going to learn a lot more about Ohio State uh, in that game. But I think one of the probably one of the biggest takeaways from this past week's game in terms of learning about what a Ryan Day Ohio State team is going to look like was the multi-tight end sets and the under-center packages for Ohio State's offense. Uh, that's not something we ever really saw during the Urban Meyer era. No, you uh, had people last year who were so angry that they weren't even, that they weren't snapped on or center just on fourth and one just so they right. could sneak it. And now they go, how many times under center? I mean, it was double digits. It was about a dozen, I think. I don't have the exact number in front of me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do know they had 26 times where they had multiple tight ends on the field. And I think uh, about half of those were under center. So um, so that was a big change. That's not something we had seen in past years. And it's something uh, they had talked a lot this offseason. Kevin Wilson in particular had talked a lot uh, this offseason about uh, getting the tight ends more involved. This was the strongest tight end group he'd ever coached. But, it, you know, it, you know, Colin, anytime you write about the tight ends, uh, most of the comments on 11 Warriors and most of the replies on social media are, yeah, same old story. Uh, you could have just copied the story you wrote last year. We hear this every year. And then we saw a glimpse of it. We saw a glimpse of it. We saw Jeremy Ruckert catch two touchdowns. It's the first time in five years since Nick Vanette in 2014 that an Ohio State tight end has caught two touchdown passes. And we saw them you know, being willing to use a lot of these multi-tight end sets. So the question now is, will this continue to be a thing all year long? Uh, Ryan Day kind of indicated today that it uh, – I could be feeling that it is going to be something that they continue to use all year. I don't think it was a one-week thing. But he also indicated that part of it was based on the matchup they thought they had with FAU. Yeah, I think that I think that definitely played into it. But will will they use this a lot? Yeah, I think they will. I think they're going to go back to this. I think they're going to continue to build on it. And I think that this is something where they didn't tell people that they were coming, and that was intentionally. They didn't tell people that they didn't tell people that they were going to go under center. They Ryan Day intentionally did not tell the media that. You sort of got hints every once in a while that they were working on it, but they never came out and said that they were going to use it, especially in the manner that that they did. Um, and and in his last sort of the last thing he said about that today was we're going to keep building on it. That was what he said, and 
Like I think that this is something that we're going to see in every game. I think you're it, it'll it'll matter which game it is to the degree that they actually rely on it. But when you have these tight ends and Rashad Berry wasn't even there on Saturday, he wasn't even playing, he wasn't active. Um, I think when you have these four tight ends that you can go to, there's no reason not to, especially when at H back you have KJ Hill and you're not really certain who who's the backup there right now. Is Jalen Gill only got a couple snaps? Yeah, and I think honestly the way he talked about it today. I think they probably would have done it less on Saturday if they hadn't had the drought that they had but extended into the third quarter because mm-hmm. I think they kind of wanted to keep it under wraps at least for one more week. But then when they went, you know, 34 minutes without scoring, they said we, we need to, you know, punch FAU in the mouth a little bit. We need to get the ball moving on the ground and we need to uh, put together a drive. And so they kind of went heavy to those packages for a couple of drives and they both led to touchdowns. And so it showed that it could work. Uh, will it work against a better defense? That's kind of a question at this point. But I think that uh, certainly it appears to be a good mix to the offense. I think it's something that Ohio State fans have wanted to see for many years. And you know, I think Urban Meyer is the type, uh, I, I, seeing this on both sides of the ball, we're going to get to the defense in a minute. I think Urban Meyer was the type that he had his strong philosophies and he really, really believes he really, really believes in the power spread on offense. He really, really believes in press man coverage on defense. And I think he was a little more stubborn. And I'm not saying it I'm not saying anything bad about him because he's clearly one of the most successful coaches and we we've seen in college football. But he had a system, he was gonna stick he to did. it. He had his system, he he believed in it. His system worked. He won. He won three national championships with his system. So his system, as long as he had the right players and the right assistant coaches to make it work, his system worked. But I think Ryan Day, my early impressions of him is he's going to be a little bit more fluid in terms of what personnel does he have, what does he think works well from week to week. I don't think he's going to be quite as locked in on one style of offense or one style of defense i think he's going to be a little bit more fluid a little bit more malleable based on uh what they see in their opponent in their game planning each week and what they think is the most effective way to use the 11 players to have in the field yeah and if you look at like why does this work why did this work against florida atlantic i think like there are a few factors like one just their their tight ends like they can they can do this like luke farrell I think Luke Farrell's, I've been saying this for a while, I think he's just one of the most overlooked players on the team because, like, a lot of the times it's like he's another offensive lineman. Like, he's just blocking. He's not He's not going out. He's not going to have 50 catches in a year. He's not going to be one of their top receivers. But he's this guy who can sort of do everything that they need. And you pair him with Jeremy Ruckert, who I think a lot of people were sort of surprised. Like, even at the end of last year, I was like, wow, like only one catch? Like, I, I didn't expect him to have 25, but I still thought he might have a little bit more um, just given the talent that he has. Um, and you sort of pair them together in that package. That's just a fascinating duo, and if and, and to me, if you like look at the offensive line, like what do they do well? Like I think Josh Myers, especially like Wyatt Davis, like these guys are powerful guys. I think in, in that formation, they, they they can really work well. And let, let's give Jake Hausman credit for a second. Yeah, because, because he's a champion this week. I think we could admit it now. Both of us would have said months ago that Jake Hausman should probably transfer from Ohio State. Um, it didn't look like he was. I if you just looked at the future depth chart, like like. I just wasn't sure where he was going to fit in because you had Rashad Berry, you had Luke Farrell, and you had Jeremy Record ahead of him, and he's now a guy who's a fourth-year player. He's a redshirt junior, and they're going to return everyone but Rashad Berry next year. And I just, I, I honestly wasn't sure where he was going to fit in. Yeah, and it's interesting to see, you know, the future uh, of Ohio State's offense now if if this becomes something they're more willing to do in terms of building their tight end depth chart for the future in recruiting. Uh, we talk so much about the depth they have at wide receiver, and that's why I, I think there's still going to be games where they're in spread a lot more than they were on Saturday because they've got a lot of talent at receiver. I think there's guys like Garrett Wilson and Jalen Gill who are going to play bigger roles as the season progresses, and they still need a little more experience to get to where Ohio State really trusts them. Uh, but I think this is a good wrinkle to have, and I think the more things you can do, the more different looks you can have, the more you're going to keep defenses on their toes, the more you're going to keep them guessing, the more you're going to make them have to prepare for Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just got to be able to do them well. <laughs> Simple as that. Um, 
Do you want to talk other side of the ball? Or is there anything I, else that you wanted to I, mention? I think we can talk about offense? defense now. Because um, I know that we're going to talk a little bit about the running game later when we get into everybody's questions. Yeah, yeah, we are going to get to some of your questions later. So if you ask the question on um, the 11 Warriors forums, we're going to get to as many of those as we can uh, here in just a little bit. Uh, but you, taking a look at the defense, outside of Justin Fields, the biggest topic of the offseason, a good first step for this defense. Held FAU to 21 points and 228 yards, and most of those points – most of those yards came in the fourth quarter uh, when backups were in the game. It, FAU had essentially back- all of those yards. Yeah, they yeah, FAU, negatives at F- yeah. FAU had about two uh, back-to-back, uh, like seventy-five-yard touchdown drives. Uh, so that that made up most of those yards. Like you said, it, there was one point in the game where FAU had n- negative thirty yards. So Ohio State's defense was absolutely dominant in the first half. Um, the second half maybe let off the gas pedal a little bit and allowed FAU to move the ball, but. I mean, man, there were some overreactions on Twitter, man. I mean, there were there were people in the game who were tweeting at me saying, "Same old defense." I think some of the worst takes after this game. I think, yeah, I think some of the offensive takes made sense. But like, listen, this, do you if you think this defense was bad on Saturday, do you just want to go back and watch what happened against Maryland last year? Like, do you yeah. do you have did you, like are you forgetting this because it was horrible last year? Well, and I and I think I think at least some Ohio State fans are. They're a little bit pre predisposed right now to pick out any flaw, uh, especially in there's I think there's a few players in particular, and you can probably guess which guys I'm talking about. Where fans, uh, anytime they make any mistake, uh, they're gonna harp on them and they say, "Why is this guy playing?" Um, I thought some of those guys, like Pete Werner in particular, is a guy I thought played really well on Saturday. Uh, I thought it had a good game. Uh, Baron Browning's a guy people have been talking about for a while. I thought he had maybe his best game yet. Uh, coming off the bench of that middle linebacker spot, I thought he he showed some good things. Uh, let's talk. I, yeah, let's talk the linebackers. I I, mean, I think in general, I think the linebackers uh, played well. I mean, Malik Harrison played really well. I didn't really notice Tough Borland much, but I didn't notice him in a bad way either. So that's not a bad thing. I just thought, yeah, because and that like that actually matters because do you know how often that we were noticing people in bad ways last year? Right. Exactly. I I mean, I thought in general, um, I didn't really see anything with the linebackers where I thought. Like, man, this is a problem. I, I thought they looked good. And it was interesting because we got, like, this was pretty much a full game where you had three linebackers on the field because, like, yep. like, like we talked about the entire offseason, like they're going to match up against whatever the team's offering and, and they're going to try and, and play. And, and they also played a pretty vanilla defense. Like they weren't doing anything crazy, so they just sort of put out their base and, and, and they did what they could with it. Yeah, they basically played cover three the whole game. And the, the base defense, for the most part, pretty much looked like I had mapped it out that I thought it was going to look like. You got four down linemen, three linebackers, uh, two two outside corners, one deep safety, and then a slot guy. I think the one thing that surprised me a little bit in this game was there's been talk about Brendan White being more of a linebacker than a defensive back, and so I thought they might rotate him in a little bit with Pete Werner. Uh, and and play more like a Sam linebacker, yeah. and he ended up rotating with Sean Wade, so he was playing more. I mean, he was almost playing like a slot cornerback in this game, the way he was playing, which is not what I was necessarily expecting. Uh, like you said, it's a vanilla defense. And I think, I, yeah, I think the main thing too is like, I don't think they really wanted to show what Brent. I don't think is. so either. I don't think so either. So I think that's still uh, an unknown. I think. I think maybe this week uh, we might see a little bit mm-hmm. more of what Brendan White has to offer. Uh, and I know, I know, I think probably one of the biggest critiques fans had from Saturday's game that one I probably actually agree with was saying um, I, I I did the snap counts on Tuesday morning for Eleven Warriors. If you want to know how much anybody played, uh, go to elevenwarriors.com and check out the snap counts. But Brendan White only played 19 snaps in the game, which actually surprised me because. He made some plays. He made some plays when he was on the field. So he made a big impact in those 19 snaps. But I, I think one point of concern that fans have is why is this guy who broke out last year, why is he playing less than half the snaps? Uh, I think that could definitely change from week to week. Uh, mm-hmm. But that, to me, is still probably the biggest mystery of this defense is just what exactly is his role going to entail? What exactly is it going to look like? Yeah, it's a fascinating – like that take to me is fascinating too because like – I think Ohio State really wants to avoid that. I think I don't. I think like they are listing how many positions they list on defense on their depth chart. Twelve. Yeah, they listed twelve positions. You want to know why? Because they don't want Sean Wade or Brennan White to feel like they're coming off the bench. Correct. Like that. They, they. And I also think like I don't think they're lying to us. I think they're going to play 
them both a lot in different games, I think it, it's really going to matter of who the opponent is. Um, but I want to go back to linebackers for a second because, like, you hinted at Malik Harrison, but, like, I don't think that – I think we have to give Malik Harrison his due because when he came, when he announced that he was coming back, I think this it was in the locker room after the game he had mentioned, um, and I just, there wasn't a ton of excitement. Like, there was, like, all right, cool. Like, uh, Ohio State fans were just like, all right, Billy Harrison's back. Seems good. He's going to be a, maybe a mid-round pick if he came uh, if he if he went to the NFL draft. Like he looked like a first-round linebacker at times on on Saturday. He really impressed me. There were a, there were a couple hits that he just jarred balls loose, and and he's a guy who flies around. He is so physical. He is he is big. He's fast. He's sort of everything Ohio State would really want in an inside linebacker. I think he sort of went. Just underappreciated throughout the offseason. I'm interested uh, as as competition gets tougher. Like, is does he continue to have that kind of impact? Because if he does, um, man, Ohio State's gonna have someone special at the second level. Well, well and defense. I think I think the ethos uh, all offseason offseason from his defense is we're gonna play fast, and I think we saw that yes. on Saturday. I think we saw linebackers flying to the ball. Uh, I think defensive line we saw them play a, a lot of depth, and we saw a lot of guys. Uh, make plays up there. Uh, of course, Chase Young starting off, but I thought Jay Sean Cornell had a really good game playing really out of position at defensive end. I thought a guy like Antoine Jackson came in off the bench, and a guy that's a guy I didn't even know if he'd be in the rotation this year, and he comes in, takes advantage of some guys being out with injuries, and, and played well in the playing time he had. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda, I thought he picked up right where he left off in the Rose Bowl. Uh, he thought he looked fantastic, both in coverage and in tackling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a guy who gets talked about a lot as a future first-round pick. I thought he looked really good. Uh, I, I, Have I did, you mentioned Chase Young? I did just mention okay. Chase Young. I, I just want to go back to Chase Young then, because Chase Young looked like the first pick in the draft. Chase Young looked completely unblockable. and you like When Lane Kiffin talked after the game, he called him unblockable. He called him... He compared him to the impact that, that Miles Garrett has on games. He's a, he's an un, he's an unbelievable guy for Ohio State coming off the edge. And like if you just look at it, just from like take a step back, like they were missing their second, third, and fourth defensive ends. Like hypothetically, Florida Atlantic can really focus on Chase Young in that instance because you have your starting three technique moving outside. Like you're going to start two nose tackles in the in the middle at defensive tackle. Yet Chase Young made it look easy. Yeah, I mean, he's a monster. He's he's one of the most talented players in the country, there's no question. And uh, it's just a matter now of seeing just can he be consistent all year when he's playing against tougher opponents, can he be that dominant? If he can, you're absolutely right. He's going to be a top-five NFL draft pick. Uh, and I know I see no reason to, to dispute that. No, I think he's uh, really got that ability. Uh, so, to, yeah, to me, I mean, all in all, um, I think even like Damon Arnett's a guy I thought looked really good, who I think is another guy who's taken some criticism for his play. I thought that he performed well. Uh, had a dropped interception in the end zone, but wanted to make sure it was known. He had a cast on his hand. So uh, if, he, if he had had a healthy hand, might have been able to make that pick. And then Jordan Fuller on the back end as well. Uh, Jeff Halfley singled him out after a game as a guy who played really well. He's playing a really uh, high-pressure position back there. Being that, mm-hmm. that single deep safety, you've really got to be on point all the time. And, and I thought he played really well. So, uh, Isn't it amazing, like, just like, how often last year did we go back and think about the game and then list off like 13 defensive players who we thought played well? Like I would say literally not once. It, it didn't happen very often. This this defense to me, like I completely bought, bought in in sort of the past month or two and it proved to be sort of what, what you imagined it to be in week one. And this is where I say it's for Atlantic, for Atlantic, for yeah. Atlantic, for Atlantic. But you saw what you wanted and what you wanted from them was – you wanted them to look like they're playing fast. You wanted them to look like they know what they're doing. Um, you wanted dominant players to play dominant. You wanted players who sort of feel like the felt like they were on like the precipice of of greatness, sort of like Jeff Okuda and, and Chase Young to play great. And like it all happened. <laughs> it all like what what were you disappointed in on the defense? Hard to name anything. Yeah, not much, not much. I think it was pretty solid effort. Uh, I think we're going to learn more uh, this next week in Cincinnati, so I want to move on to that. But two last points I just want to make. Uh, Ohio Stadium Wi-Fi, uh, I think we were both absolutely terrified about that was not going to work because we were on the same Wi-Fi as the 100,000 fans in Ohio Stadium. And I did have a little trouble connecting at first. I did hear there were some people who did have trouble connecting. 
but once I got connected, it was super fast. Shout uh, out. It was, it was unbelievable. It was really fast. Uh, it, it did a great job. Uh, so for something I thought was going to be uh, potentially a potential a disaster, uh, I thought that went really well. So I want to give props to Ohio State for that. And the other thing that I think a lot of people were worried about coming into this game. Oh, you're underselling it. Worried? Was, yeah. There were a lot of people who were not uh, not, say, not thrilled about the yeah. idea of a, of an on-field DJ at Ohio Stadium. I thought it was a solid addition. We were up in the press box, so we couldn't really get a feel for it as much as some of you might have been in the stands. But uh, to me, I thought it was a cool addition. I think uh, compared to just playing uh, music through the speakers, I think having somebody there who's kind of adding a a little bit of life to it, I thought was good. And we still saw plenty of plenty of the best damn band in the land. Uh, still, the, the best damn band in the land's not going anywhere. This is basically just replacing uh, the pre-recorded tracks that they were already playing anyways. Yeah, listen, uh, like, people got so angry about that. Like, so angry. So, like, like I don't know if they thought that this guy was just going to only play just, like, rap and just never stop playing rap throughout the entire game. Like, it had that happened, sure, that would have not been awesome. But you know what? Like... They're not going to do that because they know that that would just anger everybody. Um, I actually thought that the music appealed, especially so, like, we're down there for the sort of, like, the two hours before the game. So, like, we hear that music. We've heard that music for years now. Like, I thought that music appealed more to the people and the fans than it has in recent years. Like, I thought I thought maybe the last year or two it was just straight, like, recently released hip-hop. And it was there was a larger variety. So if people are still angry about the DJ, I don't want to hear it. That's my uh, that's my take. Now let's get back to football and talk about this game coming up this week because I think Cincinnati's a much stronger opponent uh, than FAU was. Uh, you look at their offense; they've got a really talented quarterback in Desmond Ritter. They've got a really good running back in Michael Warren, uh, who I believe ranked fourth in the nation last year with 19 rushing touchdowns. You look at their defense. They were 8th in points allowed per game, 11th in yards allowed per game, and 13th in yards allowed per play in 2018. And they've got more than half of their starters on their defense back this year. Uh, So this is a team that I think is pretty solid on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think uh, Ryan Day, the biggest message in his press conference was Tuesday is we've got to be ready to play for 60 minutes. We, We can't. Uh, we can't take a deep breath like we did this past Saturday. And I, I think he's right. Uh, certainly Ohio State is more talented than Cincinnati, but I don't think Cincinnati's going to be a pushover by any means. I think this is a team that's going to come in uh, trying to get an upset, believing it has a chance to win. And I think they're going to force Ohio State to play better. Yeah, no doubt. Um, this has been a game where I think some people um, in Columbus have like, you can't lose Cincinnati. They're not going to lose Cincinnati. I feel like that's been sort of a dominant perspective um, at times. And I think this is an absolutely losable game, though. Like, you have to go into it thinking that, like, they, like when Ryan Day has talked about the schedule, he sort of segments it um, into, I think it's like the first six games are sort of like a segment. I think this this is one of the, the two most difficult games in, the, in this segment. Um, before they get get a break with the first bye week, um, this in Nebraska, um, like I am ve- like we were talking about Justin Fields earlier. Like I'm very very interested to see what he can do against an action uh, like a like a competent defense rather than a defense that just leaves people wide open 25 yards down the field. Yeah, and I think a lot of people look at this game and say, oh, it's not a Power 5 team, so you know this really should be a pushover. Uh, this game is being overhyped. It could uh, be, but... It could it could be. And, and don't get me wrong. If Ohio State plays up to its ability on both sides of the ball, it should win this game comfortably. Ohio State is absolutely the more talented team. Yes. And if they play up to their ability, they're not going to lose this game. But... That's a lot easier said than done. I mean, look at look at what happened to Florida State and Tennessee and and teams like that this past weekend. If you don't show up and play, like what happened to Ohio State the past two years? Well, yeah. Look at what happened to Ohio State against Virginia Tech when they won the national championship. Absolutely. Like it, like this happens. And and there's some parallels. There are some parallels to this. This is this is a, it's just the second game for Justin Fields in Ohio Stadium. It's going to be a tougher test than what we saw last week. And so I don't think this is a walk in the park by any means. I'm not going to predict Cincinnati to win, but no. I won't be surprised at all if this is one of those games at halftime where the score is really close and people are panicking and it's it's a little bit tense in Ohio Stadium. Uh, that would not surprise me at all. I think nope. I think 
this is going to be uh, a, a real game. Uh, I, I think, like you said, I think it's the toughest game until they play Nebraska. Uh, you know, they play Indiana, a Big Ten game a week after this, but I think Cincinnati's a better team. Uh, I think uh, I, I think it was Ryan Day who said, who compared, I don't remember if it was Ryan Day or one of the assistant coaches, but somebody compared Cincinnati to a Big Ten team uh, during a press conference. I think it was Larry Johnson. On, yeah, during a press conference on Tuesday because of how physical they are. And, and you've got a coach in Luke Fickle who spent 15 years coaching at Ohio State. He played at Ohio State. He knows what he's getting himself into. So does Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator. Great, great Ohio State linebacker uh, from the mid-2000s. So these guys know what they're getting themselves into. And we, we remember, we talked about it last week. Lane Giffen was talking about this was a money game for FAU. FAU knew, uh, unless Ohio State really didn't come to play, that they weren't going to win that game. I don't think Cincinnati's coming into this game uh, for charity here. I think Cincinnati's coming in to try to pull off an upset. What, what to you is the most important matchup? What can Ohio State not not afford to, to lose in this, in this game? <sighs> That's a good question. I, I really think that you know a lot of it comes back to Justin Fields and comes back to this offense, and, and you've got to continue uh, to be consistent. You, you can't make mistakes. I think this is a a defense that can be opportunistic that if you do make mistakes, if you put the ball in harm's way, they can take advantage. Uh, I don't think this is a defense that's going to allow easy yards. I don't think they're going to allow receivers and tight ends to streak streak down the field for 30 yards for a wide open touchdown pass. So I think Fields is going to have to make some tougher throws in this game. Uh, I think J.K. Dobbins is going to have to step up a little bit. I think the running game is going to have to be able to grind out those tough yards. Um, yeah, I, I think I think they've just got to be able to to be able to keep field position in their advantage because I think we saw on Saturday against FAU after those first four drives, the the field position was never really in Ohio State's favor, and so I think in a game like this, I think all three phases got to be solid, and you've got to be able to tilt that spe- tilt that battle over its. Uh, special teams or if it's offense or defense you've got to be able to make the plays to get the field position moving in your favor and so that you can you can get points over the course of a game mm-hmm. um, I just want to add like I'm interested like I am extremely high on the defense right now but they're gonna be facing a better offense like they have to confirm it they have to they have to show that this what they weren't taking advantage of, of an overmatched offense that this is this is a team at, at all three levels um, that will come to play and, and, and is improved uh, from what they were last year. I put down on here, will Ohio State cover a spread? But I'll be honest, I don't know if I'm ready to make that prediction yet. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't. Know. I wouldn't bet on this game because I, I I really I really could see it going either way. I think Ohio State will win. Um, I, I think it could be one of those games if you're a better. Or I think it could come down come come into play in the fourth quarter here because I. I could see this being a game where it's very close uh, going into the second half, and then maybe Ohio State pulls away with two or three scores late and ends up making it a, a, a free score game. Uh, but I don't think this is going to be a blowout by any means. Uh, I, think it could, I, I like. I think it totally could be. Um, I think if if just if if like we're going to talk about the running game in in one second, but I think if Justin Fields sort of plays like he does earlier in the game, they get the running game going a little bit more than they did last game. The defense plays as as well as they did um, in the first game of the year. Like, I I could see I I'm not going to say like a fifty nothing blowout, but I could see a significant um, a significant beating. And I think this is a game that if Ohio State goes out and they win this game by a significant margin, oh the hype train. Then yes, and I and I think uh, this is a game where if Ohio State goes out and they win comfortably, people need to be impressed by it because a lot of people weren't impressed by what happened this past week, and I understand that. But I think if they go out and they really take care of business in this game, this is a real opponent. Don't just look at this as a group of five game. I think if 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 Ohio State goes out and really take care of business in this game, then then this is going to be a, a good early statement for this team. And if they don't. Then Cincinnati might explode some flaws in Ohio State. Uh, I think we're going to learn a lot more about this team, and I think we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left here. You talk questions? So let's get into questions. We've got quite a few of them from commenters and 11 Warriors, so we're not going to be able to get to all of them, but we'll get to as many as we I can. I think we're going to get to all of them. We're just going to rapid fire some. Well, let's start out. Uh, 
Hovnot, who Ooh. I think is one of our our favorite commenters on Eleven Warriors, uh, very yeah, nice guy, very supportive of the staff, comments on just about everything. So shout out to you, Hove. Uh, your question was run game concerns, short or long term. I think we can almost group the t- the first three questions in together because they all sort of are the exact same thing. Yeah, so let's go ahead and do that. So uh, Silver Sniper also asked, what were your impressions of running backs and whether Dobbins objectively deserves that number one running back spot? And then uh, Keys or Keezy, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it, was more concerned with the O-line or Dobbins. So I'll start here and say I'm really not that concerned about the run game. I, 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 I'm not sure, but I'm really seeing what people were were so dissatisfied with with the run game on Saturday. I don't think it was great. I don't think J.K. Dobbins had his best game, and I and I, I I understand some of the criticism of him because I don't. I think he was a guy who, as well as he performed as a freshman, I don't think we've seen him return to that level yet, and I don't know if we know exactly why. I also think part of it is that he started out his career so strong at the start of his freshman year that people thought he was going to be the next Ezekiel Elliott and I don't think he is I think he's a really good running back I don't think he's Ezekiel Elliott I don't think he's Maurice Claret but in terms of whether he objectively deserves that number one running back spot yes Uh, I don't think there's any question about that right now Uh, I think uh, Demario McCall they still used Demario McCall as basically a situational player on Saturday, and I think that's still what he is. I think he's a guy who can do some good things for the offense, but is he uh, uh, every down between the tackles running back? I'm not sure about that. I think Master Teague looked good, but I also think it's clear from talking to the coaches that they haven't quite seen everything that they want to see from him yet. Uh, So I think Dobbins is absolutely the number one running back. I also think the offensive line uh, maybe wasn't uh, great throughout the game on Saturday, but we got to remember it was their first game together as a unit with four new starters. And I think what we saw from Josh Myers, from Jonah Jackson, Wyatt Davis, we saw them knocking people off the ball. Uh, we saw them imposing their will on guys. I, I think uh, there were some very positive signs that if everybody can just get on the same page, uh, I think the running game has plenty of potential. So, uh I think it's more complicated a little bit. Um, like I think the reason, the reason why everyone is, is a little bit up in arms is you look at J.K. Dobbins' number at 4.3 yards per carry, and you compare it to what he did as a freshman, which was 7.2, and right. then last year 4.6. And the whole narrative for sort of the past eight months has been J.K. Like, are you getting back to that freshman level? Or are you going to get to that 7.2? And not only did he not do that, he sort of went in the opposite direction. Um, JK's an interesting player because, like, we sort of remember, like, he sort of came out of nowhere. Um, not nowhere in that I think people expected a lot from him as a freshman. I think he was someone who, going into that season, people were sort of hyped for. But I don't think they expected him to go into that season and rush for 1,400 yards. Like, he did he did more in that season than I think most people expected. And then last year, it just felt like he took a little bit of a step back. And, and I think a lot of people attributed part of that to he didn't, he didn't rush behind his, his quality of an offensive line. And I think that was probably correct. I don't know, J.K., like, there are parts of me where, where J.K. had a few runs where he hit the hole really strong and 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 it was impressive and then you had a couple others where i just he didn't he didn't finish the run as hard as i think he should have um and i actually think it was interesting that ryan day mentioned master teague's finishing of of some runs that i think master finished better than jk um there were a couple i know that like people were pointing out on twitter um where like jk didn't have the right vision he didn't hit the hole i actually think he he hit the hole okay often i think it was more so like how quickly he got through that hole and then like did he move the pile did he run through a defender that's the part where i didn't see enough from him so like to me is he objectively number one back like right now like yeah like you're not you can't turn or turn away from him like you have to stick with him right now um I think there's an opening. I think there's absolutely an opening for someone like Master Teague to, to get a little bit more shine. Um, but but yeah, I didn't see exactly what I wanted to see from J.K. Dobbins. Like I don't think I think I think he left a little bit to be desired, um, even though like I think people are a little bit um, overhyping his struggles just because there wasn't a lot to complain about after that game. You sort of feel like oh god, like he only ran for. F- 
91 yards, 4.3 yards per carry. I don't think it was a travesty. I think he could have played better. Yeah, I think when you see what he does this week, I think they're going to need him a little bit more this week. So, uh, you know, if it, I think I think I want to see what he does this week. Uh, I think I said I think he's the number, clear-cut number one running back. Uh, I definitely understand uh, some of the concerns of him, and I, I do think, I, even though he didn't outright admit it, I definitely got the impression from Ryan Day today that he was not too satisfied with how J.K. Dobbins played in the season openers. So. Yeah, he. I think specifically um, the fumble was bad. Yes. The fumble, he he definitely mentioned like that is something you cannot do. Um, Ryan Day, like most folks, like most football coaches, hates turnovers. Hates them, which is exactly the whole Justin Fields thing of what, what they're trying to correct right now. Um, I think there's room for a little bit more master. I, I'm interested to see if he gets more touches against a, a competitive team. But right now, no, I'm not. I'm I'm not putting J.K. on any sort of watch list about someone about to get Wally pipped or something. Yeah, not yeah. doing that. The offensive line, I, I think, like they grayed out as champions. Ryan Day said that that um, they were better than he thought. I thought I thought the offensive line was solid. I thought Thayer was really. I thought Thayer Munford was really good. Um, I thought Brandon Bowen was pretty good. I thought Josh Myers was really good. Um, they were pleased with Jonah Jackson. I think he missed a couple. Um, I thought Wyatt Davis had a solid game. I don't think that they were very bad. I think they were. There were some moments where maybe you missed a block at the wrong time. Yeah, I don't think there was any one player who really struggled. I think there were some miscommunications at times, and mm-hmm. guys struggled a little bit in the middle of a game. And that's partially, too, like Justin Fields, like this is his first start. Like, he's a guy, too, especially in pass protection, who's 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 helping that. And it was his first game, and he mentioned it after the game. is something that he wants to improve on. Looking at our list here, uh, next one here is more of a comment. It says, uh, we're going to have to make teams pay for that. Uh, saying FAU really sold out for Dobbins, so he's kind of talked about this. Uh, we're going to have to make teams pay for that with Fields keeping the ball and, and getting chunk plays. I mean, I think we did see that Justin Fields, uh, his quarterback running element is going to add something to this offense. I don't know if we've really seen it to its full potential at this point, uh, but I do think that's going to help open up the offense. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily all about big plays, but I, I do think that. You know, he can help free things up. Yeah, I think um, – I actually don't think that we're going to see that that very much. Like, I don't I don't think that Justin – I don't think they want Justin to keep the ball in those reads. Like, I know people are sort of getting, them on, getting on him like, like you can't give it to J.K. every time. Like, you got to pull it. I think a lot of times, like, one, I think he made the right read a lot of the time. Um, and two – I don't think that they want him to get hit. I think no. Justin doesn't want to get hit. I, they know this is a long season. They both said it. Um, I think they're going to do what they can again, to prevent you, that. We're, we're, a lot of us were talking about stuff that happened after they were up 28 nothing against FAU. They're, they're not going to unnecessarily put Justin Fields in harm's way when they're up 28 nothing against FAU. So I think if it's in the fourth quarter and it's a tie game, then, yeah, they're going to be more willing to run Justin Fields. But I, I think there's definitely some preservation here uh, early in the season. Uh, in terms of uh, Justin Fields and maybe not running the ball as much as people thought he might. Uh, let's get back to this next question on our list at the end because I think that's a good fun one to uh, fun one to wrap up with. Uh, we got a few questions here. Uh, Dark Horse contributor. We'll do these. We'll do these rapid fire. Yeah, we got All right. Dark Horse contributor on offense and defense. So I'm not sure if that's just somebody like we expect to see or someone who someone who's off the radar right now who maybe might contribute more than you think. I think we already talked about that a little bit. You talked about Luke Farrell. You talked about Malik Harrison. I well, I don't think I don't think Malik Harrison. Well, I'm not saying he's a dark horse, but I'm saying guys who are overlooked a little bit. Um, I would say dark horse on defense right now, like, um, like. Antoine Jackson sort of just came out of nowhere, and I think he might have played himself into some more snaps. So I, I, I would so. I would mention him. I think I like he didn't do a lot on Saturday, but I think Javante Jean Baptiste seems to be a guy who's really, uh, really impressed his coaches and has really worked his way up the depth chart. Uh, he actually played the most snaps of any defensive end not named Chase Young on Saturday. So he's yeah. a guy I'm interested to see what he does. Not sure about a dark horse contributor on offense because, honestly, there's not a lot of dark horses. We've talked a lot about the the running back depth um, at wide receiver. Like, who's using me a dark horse? Like Garrett Wilson? That's not a dark yeah. horse. Yeah, I mean, we didn't talk about Chris Olave at all. But I don't we should. Think he, I don't think he qualifies as no, a dark horse. definitely but not. He did have a fantastic game. So I'm uh, just as bullish on him as I've ever been. 
Uh, there's also asking about Damon Arnett improving his draft stock. Yes or no? I mean, after w- one game, I don't think we can make an evaluation of that, but do I think he's going to continue to play well, and do I think he has a chance to potentially be a high draft pick at the end of the year? I think he does. I think he has that kind of ability, and I think Jeff Halfley is going to be able to get the best out of him in a way that the previous coaches, or, or at least the previous coach, might not have been able yeah, to. Yeah, I, I don't think... I think he'll end the year higher draft stock than, than he would have had going into the draft. I think coming back year. was definitely a good decision for him. I, yes. I would say that for sure. Bullet, Buster, Bullseye for the defense. We talked about it before. We haven't, we haven't seen the bullet enough yet to make any evaluation on that. Uh, I think the I think the best for that position is yet to come. I think Brendan White did play really well, but I don't think he necessarily played in what the bullet role is actually going to be. So yeah. we're going to see on that one. Shout out Buckeye Condor. That was you. Uh, hold my beer is the next one. Nice. He's asking, are, are we really going to use tight ends now, or was it just because of the opponent? It was great to see Jeremy Ruckett have a big day. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think they're going to continue to use it. Uh, I don't necessarily think we're going to see two touchdowns for tight ends every game, but I, I do think there's going to be opportunities. Uh, I think Jeremy Ruckert is definitely a guy that they want to get involved more. Yep. Uh, one thing, one quick thing to mention on him: saw him miss a few blocks. Kevin, Wal- that, that matters to Kevin Wilson. I'm interested to see if they use him in, the, in a similar way. Because if, let me tell you, if if they do. It tells you what they think about his receiving skills because he didn't have the great greatest day block. And, and we talked about all this of the tight ends. We didn't even have Rashad Berry out there, and, and he's a guy who uh, is talented as well. So he's a guy, uh, not sure what his status is because we don't really get any injury updates anymore, but uh, he's a guy, once he comes back, he can contribute as well along with Farrell and Ruckert and Hausman. So a lot of depth there. I think they're going to continue to use them. I think they're in, and there's also going to be games where we see more free receiver sets, but I do think this is a. I do think it's a real thing that they want to be a part of the offense. Buckeye 3M. When is Amazon releasing the season two of Jack Ryan? All right, straight up. Never watched anything I have on Amazon. No, so I honestly have no idea what that looked is. Looked it up. It's, um, the, it's got John Krasinski from The Office, so I would probably like it, but uh, couldn't couldn't help you there. <laughs> Next question: Josh Proctor is behind a preseason All-American and Jordan Fuller on the depth chart, but flashed his potential late in the FAU game as well as all fall camp. Could we see packages in this year's defense under both on the field? Well, first of all. Yeah, Josh Proctor, he backed it up. We we heard all offseason about all these plays he's making in practice. He gets in for one series, and he and on Ohio State's last defensive play of the game shows tremendous range and makes a diving interception. That's a guy who's got a ton of talent, and I think they've got to find a way to use it. I'm not exactly sure how because Same. I think Isaiah Pryor is also a guy who's made a leap from last year. I mean, I thought Isaiah Pryor played really well on special teams, had a couple of great tackles on Saturday. Uh, they had him out there. I think he's a guy that uh, is definitely improved from last year, and I think they want him in there as well. So I don't know exactly how Josh Proctor factors in. In, yeah. a, in a defense where they're mostly going to be playing single high safety, uh, you're not going to take Jordan Fuller off the field very often. So I'm not exactly sure how he factors in, but – you see his talent. You got to think there's got to be some way to get him involved. Yeah, I mean, he's some. He's one of those guys where it's like you can't keep him off the field, but like, can you get him on the field? Like, they're a team that already is listing on their depth chart twelve starters on defense. Like, they've they're they're a versatile defense. But to be honest, like, if you're a true safety and you're going to Ohio State to play in this defense, like, you might have only one position because they like right now like. They're typically only starting one deep safety, and like they could even move Brendan White back there to play a little bit of safety beside Jordan Fuller. Um, so, like, could we could could we see packages this year when they're both on the field? I think we could, but I do think they're going to be relatively limited and team specific. And if you're going to face a team that's really trying to beat you in the air, and you've got to go like six defensive backs, he could be out there. But but other than that, like I think it might not be as much as people both want and would think. Good question there from Nuttabuckas, I believe his name is. Uh, next question comes from Eddie27, Zeke15. I get it. And and basically the, the gist of this question is, did you guys see adjustments being made during the game? I think we talked about it a little bit earlier with the offensive line. Uh, they, those guys talked a lot about having to adjust to some of the different uh, techniques that they used. I think they adjusted on the fly a little bit. I honestly don't think their plan going into the game was to use as much of the under center multi tight end power packages as they did, but I think because yeah, of point. the struggles they had in the late first quarter and the second quarter, I think they uh, turned to that. Uh, Ryan Day kind of mentioned them leaning on him in the second half. I think that is something they consciously made a decision on in at halftime to, to get that in there so that they could move the ball more, could get a couple more touchdowns to ice the game. 
defense, I think they just played so vanilla on Saturday, but I just don't think we've seen that yet. I think uh, I think Jeff Halfley and Greg Madison as defensive coordinators are going to be more than willing to make adjustments. I just don't think it was something they had to do in week one, so I, I think that's to be determined. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, are there were there adjustments made? Like, not a ton. Um, and I think that that was by design. I don't think you have to worry about like them as schemers right now. Like if that happened, if there are no adjustments when the game's tied at halftime and they're gashing you on something, like all right, that becomes a problem. But um, no, I didn't. There weren't any. There weren't any drastic things that 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 um, that really happened. And and to be honest, like I think that was by design, which leads us into our next question. Yeah, related to that, uh, Gunner Buck asks, "Am I the only person who saw an obvious and deliberate attempt by the coaching staff to keep things vanilla and stop calling plays that worked previously?" And what I can assume was an attempt to not tip our hand for later games. One word well, answer. I think I. No. Yeah, I think that the way that was phrased was too strong. Uh, an obvious and deliberate attempt to stop calling plays that worked, I don't think that <laughs> happened. No, uh, no, no. The simple answer is no. The, the, the bigger answer, though, and we, I touched up this earlier, is I, I do think that they kept things vanilla. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't think that... They weren't... Here's the thing. They, I think there's a lot of things they've got up their sleeve for this next week and for games as the season progresses that they did not show that they could have shown. Yeah, why I, would you? Why would you? When you're not going to lose the game. up 28 nothing. you're not going to throw up the playbook. Because here's the thing. Uh, certain people cared about whether Ohio State won by four touchdowns or more if they had money riding on the game. Uh, certain fans just want to see uh, the team win 70 nothing. Coaches don't really care. They just care about winning the game. They knew they were going to do that, so there was no reason for them to go overboard and open up their entire playbook just to try to make a statement against FAU because you can't make that much of a statement against FAU. So, uh, no, I don't think they uh, purposely sandbagged and, and tried to play worse, but I do think that there's a funny. lot they have up their sleeve. I think we're going to see some things this week against Cincinnati for sure that we did not see at all this past week. Yeah, I think we need a segment called Here's a Thing because we just here's the thing to each other. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> We've got a Two more couple questions. more questions here. Run Eddie Run 1983 is our second uh, handle here with Eddie George's name. It's very popular among Ohio State fans. He has any concerns about the depth on defense in some key areas. Uh, pointing question. pointing out that the second team defense played well, I agree. That is a good question. Uh, I'm not going to read too much into a unit full of backups giving up a couple touchdowns uh, late in the game of a game that was essentially already decided. I, I don't put too much stock into that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think there, there probably are uh, some concerns. You know, I, I look at a position like corner where we've seen Ohio State rotate in the past. On Saturday, they didn't do that. You know, I think Seven Banks and, and Cam Brown are guys who have potential, but I don't think they're quite ready yet. Uh, Sean Wade could probably kick outside, but that's one position I look at where, you know, if, I, if something happened to Jeffrey Okuda or, or Jeff Okuda, I keep forgetting that he goes by Jeff now. Gotta ask, Jeffrey. i got to ask him why he made that change. Anyway, El Jefe, if we want to call him that. Jeff Okuda. Uh, somebody, somebody in our DMs, by the way, uh, asked us if – if Jeff Okuda's nickname should be Barracuda with o Okuda uh, at the end of the name, and maybe Baron Browning too. I think we'll st I think we'll stick with uh, El Jefe on that one. Uh, but yeah, I think maybe corner. Uh, I think uh, Sam linebacker would probably be one because uh, Pete Warner was really the only guy who played at that position. They actually moved Jocelyn Wint to Sam linebacker at the end of the game. Uh, so Kayvon Pope's a guy who I think has some potential there and might play more as the season progresses, but I think that's one spot where they might be a little heavily reliant on Werner right now. And, and, and to be honest, though, right now, like I think they're okay with that. I think that they really like Werner, and Werner's a guy who, like, I don't, you haven't really heard many many questions about his work ethic, his uh, his motor. Like these are all no. things that I think that like if they want to keep him on the field a long time, I think they can. And I don't think that that depth will necessarily. And I think a, you also, if you had a situation where Werner wants to get hurt. You could probably take a guy like Malik Harrison and move him to that same spot, and with his physical tools, that'd be a good conversation. He, Who yeah. would be the worst person to get hurt on this team? Because he's, we'll save that for another we, show. We, we are <laughs> we are over the hour mark at this point, and we got to get wrapping up. So uh, we'll save that conversation for another show. Let's go into our our final question that I wanted to save for the end from LCT Big Ten coaches battle royale. Who's the winner? 
who's first eliminated. I believe he followed up on his question and said that... With the correct Pat, answer, I think. Pat Fitzgerald would be the winner, and I, I think I'd have to agree with him on that one. Uh, there, there'd be some other guys who I think could give him a run for his money. Let me, let me just run through them real quick. Say yes or no. Could he even compete with that Fitzgerald? All right, James Franklin? Probably not. No. Mark D'Antonio? No. No. Jim Harbaugh? No. Uh, Kirk Ferentz? No. Oh, this is a good one. Paul Christ? He could be sneaky. He's, no chance. I don't know. I don't know. I want to look up. Let me let me look up Paul Chris right now. How, what are we What are we dealing with? Um, he's born in the same year as my dad. Um, let's see. He was a. Uh, yeah. No. I'm. Mm, nope. Nope. I, okay. I'm picking no. Yeah. We're going Pat Fitzgerald. We're on. Um, Scott Frost. I think he could hang. I think he he's, could a, hang. he's a top three candidate right there. Jeff Brom. Jeff Brom, let's play football. Yeah, I think he, I think he, he'd hang around as well. PJ Fleck, I don't think so. No chance. Too small. Ryan Day, Ryan Day's too nice. <laughs> he, he also would just get beat up by Pat Fitzgerald. Um, Lovey Smith, probably not. Tom Allen, no, <laughs> not at all. Uh, Mike Loxley, Mike Loxley, I think he could hang around. He, he might be a sneaky candidate there. Her- I think. Her- I think Ash? Uh, maybe a little bit. I think we're on the same page. I think there. I think who's first eliminated? I think I'd have to go Tom Allen. That would be a funny elimination too. Sorry to apologies to to Tom Allen, but um, I think I would probably agree with that. Although to be honest, like I'm gonna be on like I think PJ Fleck might get triple teamed. Yeah, I think, I think one PJ, of the comments was that PJ Fleck would just run in immediately, and he, that's why he'd be the first one eliminated. Not only that, like I think when he gets in the ring, like other coaches, are like we need to get this guy. Hang up here. on him. Yeah, and that's 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 why I think he's gone first. We're 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 in agreement with you, LCT Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, I think he'd be tough to beat. Yeah, no, I got Pat scenario. Well, we hope you've enjoyed another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays here. Uh, a little bit over an hour here so uh, anyone who's stuck around to listen to the whole episode we really appreciate you Uh, big game coming up this weekend against Cincinnati so be sure to stay tuned with 11warriors.com for full coverage of all things Ohio State sports and again if you have questions ask us if you have feedback about things we could do differently or things you want to hear us talk about let us know we're very receptive to it uh, comment on 11warriors.com hit us up on twitter i'm at dan underscore hope at Hill. yeah so we want to hear from you guys we appreciate you guys listening to the show uh we should be on itunes and spotify soon as soon as that's something that has happened uh we will update you guys on that uh but for now listen to us at 11warriors.com uh, and check out all the great content we have there And we'll talk to you guys next week.